Welcome to Redeemer's Church Weekly Message Podcast, where our mission is simple. We are a church that is passionate about loving God and loving people. And now, we hope you enjoyed this week's message by Pastor Caleb Schaefer. How many of you, just by show of hands, how many of you have ever read this book before? Just slip your hands up. Okay. How many of you have never read this book before? Okay, awesome. Um, how many of you got the, the copy of the book last week and have already finished it? Okay, all right, overachievers. Overachievers in the room. Well, I would encourage you to uh, take your time, as I said, reading the book. Um, Paul in the New Testament said, Beloved, I would hope to come to you that I might impart a gift to you. And this is a book of impartation. It's a book that, when you read it, uh, it, it becomes a, a part of who you are. And it changes your perspective, it changes the, your approach, at least that's what I would hope. But I, I see it really as a, uh, this is a, this is not a one-time book. This book was written in 1980. And so it is over 40 years old, and it is still as relevant today as the time that it was written. And so we're going we're gonna to dive into this book, but some of you may be thinking, why this book? Some of you may be thinking, why now? What's the point? What does this have to do with me? Anybody think that? Just show your hands. I'm kidding. I'm just... <laughs> well, let me, I just want to share a story as we begin this morning um, about how this book has impacted me. Uh, but before we do that, let's just pray. God, I thank you so much for your grace. I thank you so much that as, the, as one of the songs, not that we sung today, but it, it does say this, it says, your mercy keeps running after me. Yes. God, I thank you that you are in constant pursuit of our hearts. God, you're in constant pursuit of bringing healing to our hearts and transformation to our hearts and freedom to our hearts. And I just pray over this series that this would be another instrument that you use to bring healing. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 In October of 2012, this was my second year as a full-time youth pastor, and I was planning the upcoming, actually, I'm sorry, October of 2011, I was planning the upcoming uh, winter conference that we did for the youth. And... Uh, the Winter Conference, we would gather a lot of different youth ministries that we were in relationship with in the city to come together. We would host it here, and what we would often do is bring in a kind of national guest speaker that would speak to the youth and minister over the weekend. But this particular year, as I was praying into it, once again, this is my second year as youth pastor, I really felt like the Lord said, we're gonna, we should bring in a guest speaker for the evening sessions. But I felt like the Lord had led me to have a friend of mine that was a local youth pastor preach one session, and I would preach the other session. And so I, I started to plan and arrange this, and then every October we would have a meeting with the youth pastors where we'd all gather together. I'd give them the information for the, the conference. We'd pass out applications, really build it up, promote it, talk about what we felt like the Lord wanted to do in our students. And so at this meeting... Um, I'm sharing the details of the, the speaking arrangement. Now, one of the things that you have to understand is that that was not kind of a normal thing for the conference. 
um, the normal thing for the conference was to have that national guest speaker preach all of the, the sessions. And so in this meeting, uh, I'm in a mixed group. And by mixed group, I mean I have tenured older youth pastors in the room and then other youth pastors that are younger than me or my age as well. And so I share this information. Uh, we close the, the meeting. Uh, we're all, it's all kind of clear. And then we just move on. And a couple days later, I got a call from one of the older youth pastors. And he said, hey, man, let's go to breakfast. I'm like, cool. Now, once again, and this is my second year, so I'm like going into this breakfast with the expectation that this older youth pastor is like, hey, man, I'm here to like support you, encourage you, let's do this. That's not what happened. <laughs> we get to Cracker Barrel, and um, I would hope that if you're having more of a corrective breakfast, you would meet at a more discreet place. <laughs> That's not what happened. So we're at Cracker Barrel, and for about an hour, this individual proceeds to rebuke and correct me for having the audacity to not think about him being one of the individuals to preach at the camp. And not only that, but my heart for the conference was not what it should have been. And he proceeded to tell me what his vision for the conference was. And first and foremost, I'm in the middle of this breakfast thinking, is this really happening? <laughs> like, <laughs> I mean, you could have chose like a Panera booth. You know what I mean? Like, there's no booths at Cracker Barrel. It's all out in the open. And uh, so I guess my question in this moment to you is what would you have done in that place and in that position? I'll tell you what I did. After he started to proceed to correct me, I leaned over the table and slapped him right in the face. What did the five fingers say to the hand? Slap! I'm kidding, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. No, I didn't do that. <laughs> That's what I wanted to do. You ever rehearse something in your head? Come on. What would you have done? I was the prophet Dave Chappelle, by the way. What would you, what, what would you have done? I'm asking. I mean, you probably would have been like, hey, shut up. If you don't want to be a part of it, go start your own conference. Right? I mean, what, what would you have done? Well, I'll tell you what. As this is going on, and I'm, I'm feeling, how many of you are like, I'm feeling attacked? I felt attacked in the moment. I felt like he was criticizing my decisions, criticizing my, my leadership capacity. And uh, so as he's proceeding to attack me, I got a lot of things running through my head. But I want to tell you what really was the pervasive thought running through my head. It wasn't defending myself. It wasn't lashing out back. It wasn't responding and reacting with my flesh. I can tell you with absolute honesty, the question that was running through my mind in that moment was what can I do to honor him even though I feel like he's attacking me and dishonoring and disrespecting me? What can I do to honor him in the moment? So I come to the conclusion 
that I'm going to end. And the reason why I'm coming to this conclusion in part is because Jesus said, when someone hits you, turn the other cheek. And so I have the right to respond however I want because there's grace. But scripture says, shall we go on to abuse grace so that grace may abound? So I'm like, I'm, I'm not going to respond that way. What can I do? Here's the truth. What can I do in this moment so that the spear he's throwing doesn't hit me? So I said, you know what? I'm going to honor him. So I, the check comes, and I said, hey, man, I'm going to buy breakfast. So I pick up the tab, put it on the church card. You know what I mean? <laughs> Thank you, God. <laughs> Thank you, Pastor Rick's tithe. No. So I pick up the tab and I, I, I sincerely look at him and I say, I want to thank you for having the, the courage to come to me and address these concerns with me. And so we part ways. I go out to my car and I drive off and I'm thinking in my, in my head in the moment, did I really just pick up the check for an hour of rebuke? And I'm, I'm, I'm kind of laughing to myself. I get home and Allison's like, so how was it? And I was like, well, I just spent an hour eating with an individual that strategically planned for us to come together so he can correct my errors. But you know what's interesting? Is the spear didn't land. The, what, the, what I would say is, first of all, what you have to understand when people throw spears at you, is our battle is not against flesh and blood. Our battle is against spiritual things, principalities and powers that are using people as pawns to progress the enemy's agenda. And so the enemy is not the person sitting across from you. The enemy is not, the enemy is not your enemy. The enemy is the one that is manipulating their emotions and their flesh to target and attack you. And so I wasn't going to let that spear land. And I believe strongly the reason why that, that conversation, though it was awkward, and what was intended to attack didn't land, is because I believe that it was in paying for his breakfast in sowing honor in a person that dishonored me, that I was able to disarm his disrespect. And as a result, the attack actually didn't hurt me. I believe, it was, I believe it was God in the moment, honor those who are dishonoring you, because if you do that, you will disarm the spear that was trying to land. And so in that, and I didn't see that until hindsight, when looking back. But to this day, I've met with that individual multiple times. It's always cordial. I hug them. It's friendly. It, it's, like, it's like we didn't even have the conversation. But let me tell you something. I didn't learn to respond that way had it not been for this book. This book taught me what to do in situations like that. And it was after reading this book and the transformation that happened in my heart that I was able to respond in that moment. See, I learned that just because 
people can personally attack you or throw spears at you intending to hurt you doesn't mean that you have to or even need to throw them back. For as we will find out, even when Saul threw spears at David, David never retaliated in that way. David never threw the spears back. And as the book says in chapter 6, um, page 17, and in performing this small feat of returning thrown spears, this is, the, this is what happens when you decide, listen to me, this is what happens when you decide to throw the spear back. And in performing this small feat of returning thrown spears, you will prove many things. You are courageous. You stand for the right. You boldly stand against the wrong. You are tough and you can't be pushed around. You will not stand for injustice or unfair treatment. You are the defender of the faith, keeper of the flame, detector of all heresy. You will not be wronged. All of these attributes then combine to prove that you are also a candidate of kingship. Yes, perhaps you are the Lord's anointed after the same order as Saul. There's also a possibility that some 20 years after your coronation, you will be the most incredibly skilled spear thrower in all of the realm, and also by then, quite mad. When you throw spears back 20 years from now, you can be guaranteed that you'll be throwing spears at other people. It happens in your heart. And I had to protect my heart in that moment and say, even though I am feeling disrespected and dishonored and frankly humiliated because you didn't choose a booth at Panera. You did this out in the open. What if, what if somebody else that knew us both showed up? Oh, hey, what's going on, man? No, I'm just getting rebuked right now. How are you doing? You good? But it was through this book that I learned what becomes of those who react to spears being thrown at them by throwing them back. This book is telling a popular story, and I believe if you will allow it, God will perform surgery in your heart so that you will be known just like David as a man or woman after God's own heart. That doesn't happen by default. It happens in situations like this where God molds and shapes and develops your heart through the surgery that takes place when other people throw spears at you. This book teaches us so many lessons, and I just want to uh, advertise the book at the beginning. It teaches us how to respond when we become the target of people's hatred, jealousy, or envy. It teaches us how to protect our hearts from resentment and bitterness taking root. It teaches us how to honor others even when they are dishonoring us. It teaches us, though, listen, this is so important that though we can legitimately be the victim of other people's attacks and hurt, that being a victim does not mean that you have to stay a victim. Amen. There is a choice. Amen. And when you begin the pattern of being a victim, you actually become a Saul because Saul saw himself as a victim of everybody else. The danger of taking, playing the victim card and walking around as a victim constantly, being a victim of every single other person, is that you in turn, in time, will become just like Saul. Victims become victimizers. So even though you can become a vi or you can legitimately be the victim of someone else's attacks, being a victim and staying a victim is a choice.
Here's another one. It teaches us that God anoints and uses broken people, even if those broken people never get fully healed of what has broken them. You think that God doesn't use broken people? If that's your perspective, nobody would ever be up here. The only person, isn't it interesting that the Son of God was broken? You don't think God uses broken people. You have unrealistic expectations, and as Chad Veach says, if you've got really high expectations and those expectations constantly disappoint you, lower them. God uses broken people even if they never get fully healed of the very thing that broke, broke them. It teaches us how to submit to natural or spiritual authority figures even if they aren't worthy of our submission. <laughs> Let's just say this. Nobody is worthy of our submission. But this book teaches us how to submit regardless. It teaches us to, here's another important one, to open our eyes to the people that God actually uses to shape and mold our hearts so that we become who he desires for us to be. And lastly, among so many other things, it teaches us what to do and what not to do when we are under the authority of others, as well as what to do and what not to do when we are in authority over others. And to teach us all these lessons, it takes us through a journey of studying the lives of King Saul, King David, and King Absalom. And this book is actually an allegory of that story. And so in this message series, what we're going to do is we're going to do a character study of these three kings over the next three weeks. We're going to look at their lives because every one of their lives, how many of you know, and I wrote this in the article, that there's a saying about history that those who fail to study history are what? Doomed to repeat it. We can look at these lives, and I believe that God can give us a grace to not repeat the same mistakes. I believe that God can, can give us the grace to have their successes without their failures. And so as we spend these next three weeks, we're gonna take a look at these, these three figures and uh, see what God speaks to us. And so to begin, we're gonna take a look at, light, at the life of King Saul. And to do that, we're gonna look at 1 Chronicles chapter 10. When was the last time you ever read 1 Chronicles? We're gonna look at 1 Chronicles Narnia chapter 10. Um, and we're going to look at verses 3 through 9. Now, in this passage, we're going to take a look, look at Saul's end. And in this passage, uh, Saul is the king of Israel, and he's surrounded by his sons, and they are on the run. The Philistines are advancing on them, which was another um, tribe in, tribal group in the area, and they are on the run. They're advancing against them, and so Saul and his sons... Uh, are trying to flee, and they flee up to a mountain in Israel called Mount Gilboa, and it is actually here where Saul passes away, and we see this in verse, uh, chapter uh, 10, verses 3 through 9. Where's first, first Chronicles at? I was in Deuteronomy. Hold up real quick. First Chronicles chapter 10. Um, we're going to look at verses 3 through 9. We're going to read just a, a, a brief passage and then kind of jump up real quick. It says this, it says, um, <clears throat> it says, the battle, this is verse 3, I'm reading in the New American Standard. The battle became heavy against Saul, 
and the archers overtook him, and he was wounded by the archers. Then Saul said to his armor-bearer, draw your sword and thrust me through with it. Otherwise, these uncircumcised men will come and abuse me. But his armor-bearer would not, for he was greatly afraid. Therefore, Saul took his sword and fell on it. What a way to die. So Saul dies, and not only does he die, but all of his sons die with him. And let's skip down to verse 9. So they stripped him. This is the Philistines the next day after the battle. They come along, and they're stripping everybody of armor and gear. They stripped Saul, took his head and his armor, and sent messengers around the land of the Philistines to carry the good news to their idols and to the people. This is Saul's tragic end. Now, what's interesting about the way that Saul died is that if you were to go back to the beginning of when Saul became king, you would have never imagined that this would be his end. Nobody would have guessed that. Because the way he started was not the way that he finished. Can I tell you something? That the way you finish is determined on how you handle spears from the time you start. The way he started was not the way that he finished. And so let's look back at the time that he started, because what you have to understand is that in the church world, people are constantly comparing and contrasting Saul from David. Constantly, David is the the epitome of what you want to be as a king. Saul is the epitome of what you don't want to be king. But what's interesting about their beginning is that they actually had more in common than they had apart. There was a lot of similarities at the beginning of when Saul became king. For instance, number one, just like David, God sends Saul to Samuel in 1 Samuel chapter 8 to be anointed king. Saul is serving his father, and I believe the story says that there were horses or donkeys that had broken free of his father's land, and so he is set out on a journey. But what he doesn't even know about that journey is that Samuel, who is the judge and prophet of the land at the time, that Saul is just serving his dad's house, gets a word from the Lord that said, tomorrow you will have a man that will come to you seeking for counsel and guidance to how to find the horses or donkeys that that were let loose from his father's uh, farm. And when you see this man, this will actually be the next king of Israel. Saul, listen, God sends Saul to Samuel in the same way that David was was tending to his father's flock, and he is sent to Samuel to be anointed. They had the same beginning in that regard. It says in verse, uh, 1 uh, Samuel 8, 17, when Samuel saw Saul, say that three times fast, the Lord said to him, behold the man of whom I spoke to you, this one shall rule over my people. So he was chosen by God in the same way that David was chosen by God. Let that sink in. Saul was chosen in the same way that David was chosen. Second example, Saul, just like David, was humble at the time that he was chosen to be king. He was humble. When Samuel alludes to Saul that he will become king, he doesn't just grab the reins and assume the role. No, he says in verse Samuel... Uh, chapter 8, verse 21, am I not a Benjamin, uh, I'm not uh, a, of the tribe of Benjamin, of the smallest tribes of Israel, and my family, the least of all the families of the tribe of Benjamin, why then would you speak to me concerning this? Saul is, 
is humbled by the fact that God would choose him in spite of his small beginnings. He's like, what? I, I'm, I'm the one that God wants to use to be king? There was a le same level of, of humility in David. David said something almost very similar to that very thing. I'm the youngest of my brothers. How is it that I'm, I'm the one that God has chosen? Number three, Saul, just like David, did not just become king, but was empowered by the Spirit of the Lord to rule over Israel. If you know this, the story about how uh, Saul became king, this was based upon the reluctance of God to actually promote a king. The people wanted a king, but God knew that. They, he actually told Samuel, the reason why Israel wants a king is because they've turned my, their back on me, not you. But nevertheless, God gave them what they wanted, and he put his spirit on Saul in the same way that God put his spirit on David. He empowered him to be able to lead. Uh, we see this in 1 Samuel 10, 6. It says that the spirit of the Lord came upon Saul, and he would be changed into another man. Number four, Saul, just like David, in his beginnings, I love this, was not threatened by those who spoke ill of him. If you know anything about Saul's track record, you know that, that into his kingship, he was going and coming after those that spoke any ill words towards him. But that's not how he started. It's interesting because the day that he was coronated king in 1 Samuel 10, 27, Saul's anointed king publicly, and it says this, but certain worthless men said, how can this one deliver us? In other words, they're doubting Saul. And he hears it. And they despise Saul, and they deliberately dishonored him. They, they, it says they would not even bring any gifts to honor him, which was very typical at the time. But you know what's interesting? Saul hears all of this happening, and there's three words at the end, four words at the end of this verse that says, but Saul kept silent. He didn't even come for him. This was non-spear-throwing -throw, uh, Saul at the time. And it, going on later, another chapter later, after he proves that God is with him and absolutely delivers the Israelites from a tribe called the Ammonites, in verse, uh, 1 Samuel chapter 11, verses 12 and 13, it says, Then the people said to Samuel, Who is he that said, Shall Saul reign over us? Bring those men so that we may put them to death. So the people, after Saul proves himself, are like, hey, bring those people that despised you, dishonored you, bring them before us because we'll take care of them. But look at what, how Saul responds. In verse 13, not a man shall be put to death this day. For today the Lord has accomplished deliverance over Israel. When you read those examples... You could have put David in there wherever Saul was mentioned. They started very similar. Now, I'm going to just say this last note on Saul's beginning. Saul was not some filler king only to occupy the throne until David was old enough to be king. you got to hear that. Saul was God's only plan initially. The Bible actually says that Saul and his family were supposed to be the kings of Israel forever. If Saul would have done what he was supposed to do, David would have never came to the throne. 
It says this in 1 Samuel 13, verse 13. Samuel said to Saul, the Lord would have have established Saul's kingdom over Israel forever. Did you notice that? He said, would have. In other words, there was a role that Saul played in his own demise. Only five chapters of the book of 1 Samuel are dedicated to Saul's successes. By the way, let's just have a moment where we talk about the prophetic. There is a partnership and a role that you have to play in seeing those prophetic words fulfilled. Because everything that was spoken over Saul, we, just like us, we can easily receive it and say, God's going to do all the work. Right. No. You have a role in hearing the word of the Lord, as Betty says, write that thing down and determine what in this is my responsibility. Let God do what God does, but you have to do what you do. You got responsibility to see the prophetic words play out. And that same responsibility was with Saul at the beginning. Only five chapters of the book of 1 Samuel are dedicated to Saul's successes while the remaining 19 chapters of 1 Samuel record Saul's decline and demise. He started out right. He just didn't finish well. So Saul goes from a man who was just like David at the beginning to a man who over and over again neither consulted God for wisdom nor obeyed God when he instructed him to do something. If you want to be a, a, an extra nerd this month, read 1 Samuel with Tale of Three Kings. Because we don't have enough time to go in all, into all of the details about what, where Saul went wrong. But I can tell you in 1 Samuel 13 and 1 Samuel 15, there were big no-nos that Saul engaged in. We'll get to why those things happened. But Saul was one who just took some, some, some sharp turns and over and over again neither consulted God for wisdom nor obeyed God when he instructed him to do something. Matter of fact, he only, let's talk about this, our reactive tendencies in our relationship with the Lord. He only turned to God when things did not go his way. If that is the only time that we turn to God, do we even have a relationship? Or is he just, is he just, I don't even know, just something we leverage to our own advantage? The only time Saul would go to God was when things were not going his way. He became a man gripped by fear and paranoia and known for fits of rage, anger, and jealousy. He became a man who would rather consult mediums and witches for counsel than seek to restore his relationship with God. And sadly, he became king. He, his legacy was known as a man that was mentally unstable and quite mad. So as we consider the life of Saul... How did Saul transform into the Saul that we have all come to know? How did his legacy shift from what it could have been to what it became? How many of you know those are important questions? And if you could learn from somebody else, try to learn it today. I'm going to give you two reasons why I believe that that shift took place. The first was this, and hear me please, Saul's anointing and his authority went to his head. Saul's anointing and his authority went to his head. In 1 Samuel 13, the Bible very clearly says 
that on the eve of battling, I believe the Philistines or the Ammonites, uh, not, not the eve, but we, a week before, Samuel comes to him and says, before you go out to fight, you need to wait for me to arrive and I will offer a sacrifice to the Lord that you would have favor on the battlefield. And when you do that, then you can proceed. It comes to the day and Samuel does not come when Saul wants him to come. So Saul looks at everybody and says, you give me all the offering stuff. I'm going to go ahead and perform this by myself. Now, if you read the scripture, a lot of people get mad because they're like, well, Samuel didn't come on the day. Yes, he did. He just didn't come on at the time in the day that Saul wanted him to come. And when, as soon as the offering and sacrifice is done by Saul, it says Samuel arrives saying, what are you doing? And it's interesting because when you look at Saul's response in the original language, it says that his response to Saul was actually in boasting. He wasn't, giving, he wasn't saying, man, you didn't come, up, come, in, come on, t- on time. I was waiting for you, never came. No, it actually says the way he responded to Samuel with his abo- was a boast. I'm king. You didn't show up. It's your fault that I made the sacrifice. Ooh, doesn't that sound like a victim? Eventually becoming a victimizer that loves to throw spears. He said, it's your fault. I'm the king. What are you doing? And it was from that point, with a lack of repentance in Saul's heart, that things went the opposite direction. His anointing and his authority went to his head. Saul defeats the Amalekites. This is in chapter 15, but does not fully do what God had commanded him to do. And Samuel comes to address his disobedience in Scripture in 1 Samuel 15, 12. And I want want you to hear this. Saul, or Samuel told Saul, once again, two chapters after that first disobedience, specific instructions of what Saul was supposed to do. He was supposed to defeat the Amalekites, sparing nobody, including their, their, their uh, livestock, everything that could be a, a material possession gain for the Israelites. God told Saul, spare nothing. So what does Saul do? He defeats the Amalekites, but he spares the king and the best choice of livestock, cattle, and everything. And Samuel shows up and says, what is this sheep sound that I'm hearing? Did you not hear? Now, you know what's interesting? This is how I know that Saul's anointing and his authority went to his head. Saul, Samuel catches Saul in this moment coming from building a monument to himself. He literally erected a statue after defeating the Amalekites. I'm the reason. I'm the reason why we won. He built a monument. You either build altars or monuments. You either build... Altars, because you know what altars are? Altars are you saying, I know who God really did it. Monuments are about, I did it. You take credit for what God did on your behalf. We're all vessels and stewards, by the way. Do you know that? We're nothing without the gifts and and, and, and all the grace and the anointing that God puts on your life. 
As Paul said, I've said this over and over again, in him we move, we live, and we have our being. If, if he didn't supply you with breath in your lungs, you could do nothing. You can't cause yourself to come alive. It's all him at the beginning and the end. And so his anointing and authority went to his head. Have you ever been under the authority of someone whose power has gone to their head? This was Saul. I remember I shared this with the, with the leadership or the worship team. I remember having a boss that had the reputation that if you saw them coming, walk the other way. How many of you have ever had that? How many of you are like, right now, that's, that's my life. Monday, that's my life. This person was just, you didn't want to hear what they had to say. They had nothing good to say, constantly critical, constantly bringing correction, constantly authority and anointing going to their head. These types of people forget who they were before they got power. They forget that they were just like you before the promotion and before the title change. They believe that they can treat people under them however they want because of their position of power. Listen, souls learn to love power and prominence more than people and use people to gain more power and prominence. If you will benefit my promotion, I love you. But the moment you are a liability instead of an asset, I don't want anything to do with you. You're actually getting in the way and impeding my promotion. This is what souls do. They feel entitled to behave however they want because of their position. Just as Saul felt entitled to throw spears at David. As the book says on page 13, Saul did what all mad kings do. He threw spears at David. He could. He was king. Kings can do things like that. They almost always do. Listen, kings claim the right to throw spears. Everyone knows that kings have that right. Everyone knows very, very well. How do they know? Because the king has told them so many, many times. You ever have that where you have a leader that lets you know who's boss? That lets you know that they have authority as if you don't already know that? <laughs> this is what Saul's do. Not only do they forget who they are, but they forget to give credit to who gave them the capacity to do what they do. Saul forgot that the reason for his success was because of the natural God-given abilities that he had been given and the anointing on his life. Let me tell you something. In the church world, let me tell you of a place that is extremely dangerous. The dangerous place is this. It's believing that your relationship with God is good just because you still have the gifting and the anointing. If you look to your gifting and anointing as the main determiner for the health of your relationship, you're in a dangerous spot. Because Romans 11:29 says that God gives you giftings and callings irrevocably, which means the gift will always be in your life whether you use it or not. And that is not the determiner for the health of your relationship with the Lord. Just because you have the anointing, if you want to know if you want to know if that's the case, read God's generals. Read about all of these famous people in the world of faith that had amazing anointing, casted out demons, healed, raised the dead, delivered people, but still were messed up. They had the anointing and they had the gifting, but that is not the determiner 
on the health of your relationship with God. If you want to know whether that's true or not, ask Lucifer. <laughs> Lucifer thought, because I got the gifting, I've got the right to challenge God and do what I want. We have to never confuse God's grace as his endorsement for our unrighteous behavior. In 2 Peter 3.9, it says this, He isn't slow as some people think he is slow. He is waiting for everyone to come to repentance. And that's what he was doing with Saul. God was not endorsing Saul's behavior as king and his unrighteousness. He was being patient with Saul, hoping that he would repent, and Saul never did. To sum this point up, let me, write, let me say this. Saul's want authority and anointing only if it means total autonomy and no accountability. I want power and I want anointing, but I don't want anybody to come and check on me. I want full freedom to operate however I want. How do I know this to be true? Because souls never embrace the correction of people that are wanting to make them better. Never. They always blame. It's always someone else's fault. They always defer. They always justify their behavior, seeking to convince you that every decision is without fault and beyond any degree of criticism. They are unwilling to admit when they are wrong and when someone else is right. And because of their inability to confess when they are wrong, they are people that never repent. For repentance does not exist within the heart of a person if it is never confessed. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Saul's one authority and anointing only if it means total autonomy and no accountability. Let me just add this. But what Saul forgot was that even though he was king over God's people, he was still under the authority of God. You actually see this. 1 Samuel 10, it says, Then Samuel took the flask of oil poured it onto his head, kissed him, and said, Has not the Lord anointed you a, listen to this, ruler over his inheritance? It's interesting, because something gets lost in translation in what is recorded in English from what Samuel told Saul. When Samuel said, You have been anointed ruler over God's inheritance, that did not mean king. In the Hebrew, here's what it meant. It meant prince or overseer. Not king. And Samuel's delivering the word of the Lord to Saul. He's letting him know, they may call you king, but you're just a prince under my authority. And when authority and anointing comes to your head, you think, goes to your head, you think that God gives you anointing and ability and says, hey, do whatever you want with it. As if you're still not accountable to the Lord for your behavior. This is where he went wrong. In other words, what God was saying when, when Samuel anointed him is you may be king to them, but to me, you are just an overseer under my authority, which means though you have power over them, you are accountable to me for your actions. And here's where the, we see the second reason why Saul went the way he went. Saul was infected by deep insecurity. Whoever you are before anointing authority or power only gets magnified when you have it. Whoever you are before power 
only gets magnified when you have it. And let me take it a step further. Whatever, and whatever you do not allow God to heal before you enter into a leadership position will manifest itself in the way you treat other people. It's interesting, and we're going to get to it at the end here, but when Samuel comes, anoints Saul, and then when, he, when Samuel gathers all of Israel together to publicly announce that Saul is king, does anybody know where Saul is? Who said it? Where is he at? He's hiding behind baggage. He is hiding behind baggage. You know what's interesting about Saul? There's a description about Saul. He's a head taller than everybody else in Israel. So you know when Saul's coming. Um, I play hide and seek with my kids. But my kids lack a physical awareness of how big their body is. So they do stuff like this. Come find me. That was Saul on his coronation day. Dude is hiding behind baggage. Bro, you're 6'5". Everybody else is 5'7". What are you doing? But you know what's interesting when we take that a step further, that analogy, is that if you don't allow God to deal with your baggage, you will always lead from behind it. There's a difference, and, and by the way, let me just talk to everybody that is eager for more power. Slow down, because you need God to deal with your baggage. Because if you don't allow God to deal with your baggage before you get the position, you will treat people from behind the baggage that you carry into the position. There's a difference, and listen, the baggage doesn't go away just because you got a promotion. The baggage goes with you wherever you are, and this season of grooming you and developing you before you get promotion is so that God can address the baggage and heal you of the baggage so that it does not end your career when you get the promotion. He was infected by deep insecurity, and this deep insecurity manifested itself in multiple ways. Number one, Saul was infected by deep insecurity that caused him to have a greater fear of man than respect for God. I love what Bill Johnson says. He says, if you don't live by the praises of men, you don't die by their criticisms. If you don't live by the praises of man, you don't die by their criticisms. Saul was, had a greater fear of man than respect for God. Both of the times in 1 Samuel 13 and 15. By the way, am I, am I, is this going too long? Are y'all good? Saul, both times, he had major mistakes. The reason why he chose to, to totally disobey God was because he was more concerned about what people were thinking than what God commanded him to do. Look it up. You can read it, 1 Samuel 13 and 15. Insecurity can drive you to constantly seek the affirmation and praises of people, even at the expense of disobeying God to do it. When you're insecure and you have a greater fear of man, you cannot endure people not liking you, so you don't do whatever is necessary, or so you do whatever is necessary to get their approval. 
You would do anything to win people's favor or affirmation, even if it means you compromise your core values to get it. This is one of Saul's major downfalls. The second uh, area we see insecurity is this. Saul's can't stand competition because it makes them feel inferior. That's why your bosses hate on you. They hate on you because they know that you could have their job. And so they seek to suppress you in that position. They can't stand competition. Saul's only fight battles they know they can win because they can't stand putting themselves in positions that expose their weaknesses. So they assign you the job. <laughs> you, I have the authority to just assign you the task. You go do it. You know what's interesting about this? We see this in Saul's life because, listen to this, why was Saul in a tent when Goliath was taunting the armies of God? He dispatches the whole army and says, line up, get into battle-ready positions. It's going to be over in my tent. Because and, 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 and we don't see this in Scripture, but it would be very plausible to say that Saul was like, you know, because I'm the leader, leaders can't die. That just messes up the whole thing, so I'm just going to be over here. But y'all, y'all risk your lives. I'll just be over in my tent real quick. But you don't, when you read that story, you know what I love about it? It says David shows up at the front line. What? What is, what do I hear about this person coming for the, the armies of the living God? Let me take it a step further. David shows up, hears Goliath's bark, says, I'll deal with him, although he's super short and his brothers are like, will you get out of here, you little knucklehead? Over here, starting trouble. You know, he was the youngest. Youngest always start trouble. Youngest always mess with people. Just instigate, irritate. And his older brother's like, they're scarred because they got baggage that they didn't let God heal. And they're like, get out of here, you bum. Go back to dad. You're so annoying. And so David never leaves. He's still like, no, like, I'll do it. So he shows up to, to Saul in Saul's tent, and he's trying to convince Saul, Saul, let me take this, this guy on. And Saul's like, now this is interesting. Okay, I'll finally let you do it. But if you're going to do it, you need one thing. You need what? You need my armor. Because I don't have the courage to go out and fight, but if you wear my armor, then I can boast the reason why you won is because of me. You can't wear my armor but I'm just going to give it to you as a gift because I'm just so generous. And when you win, and the people say, I can't believe that David defeated Goliath. You can, in, in corners where David is not even around, you can say, well, actually, had he not had my armor. It was, it was my anointing on the armor. It was... It was really because of me, guys. I mean, I'm not trying to boast. You know, I'm humble. <laughs> but it was really me. Do you take credit for other people's successes? <laughs> because you want to be the one? Because you can't stand competition? You can't stand the praises of other people going to somebody else? Let me just, I'll, I'll hit it again. Here's the third one. 
Saul's are unable to endure the praises of others because they, they, they no longer are the center of attention. 1 Samuel 18, 7 and 9, the woman sang as they played and said, Saul has slain thousands and David his tens of thousands. Do you know that wasn't even true? So David had one win. One. But this is what people are shouting. Saul, Saul, Saul had thousands, but David has tens of thousands. This is not even true. But listen to what, what, uh, goes, what is recorded here. Then Saul became very angry, for this displeased him. And he said, they have ascribed to David tens of thousands, but to me thousands. Now what more can he have but the kingdom? In verse 9, at that point, I would have been, if I was in the room, I would have been like, you prophetic, bro. <laughs> but verse 9, Saul looked at David with suspicion from that point on. It was after that that Saul started to throw spears at him. What led to Saul's downfall was that the anointing and authority went to his head and the baggage or insecurity infected his decisions. Now, let me take it a step further as we, we land the plane. So, so many of us right now are thinking he's lying about landing the plane. <laughs> so many of us, as we listen to the messages like this, we can often begin to think about the souls in our lives that have hurt us. We can think about uh, managers and bosses and teachers I, honestly, as I'm writing this message, I remembered that when there was conversations about me becoming the next youth pastor, that I literally had some people come up to me and said, man, I don't think you're going to last long. And I'm like, thanks for lifting up my arms. <laughs> I love being an underdog, though. That is so fun. But we can think about people that throw spears. And so many of us, we can feel like we've been like the David in the situation, right? Where we got all of these Saul's and we're, we're thinking about maybe parents, we're thinking about teachers that said, you'll never be anything, you'll never amount to anything. Bosses and managers that have abused you. Uh, honestly, this is so relevant in the church world. Pastors that did this and pastors that, that did that. Leaders that did this and leaders that did that. And we constantly been on the receiving end of Saul's madness or in Saul's insecurities and all of the pain that Saul's inflict. But I had a question um, that I was supposed to ask, but I'll ask you right now. The question that precipitated this whole message was, is there Saul's among us? Is, there, is Saul in the room today? Hiding behind some baggage. Hiding behind some luggage. Is there souls? Now, that question is not asking <laughs> you to be like, yep, he is right over there. <laughs> Matter of fact, afterwards, I'm going to come up to him and be like, I feel like the Lord needs you to have some prayer today. I'm not talking about people that you want to point out. Because the truth is, is you have your eyes on the wrong Saul. Let me tell you about the, wrong, the, the Saul you need to be looking at. 
What do I do when the kingdom I'm in is ruled by a spear-wielding king? Should I leave? If so, how? Do I, do I not like my boss and I, I gather around my sympathizers and say, you know what, we're in this together. I'm going to branch off and do my own thing. And let's plot to make sure that they go down. That's next week's message. Do you, what does a person do in the middle of a spear throwing contest? The answer is, you get stabbed to death. But what is the good in being speared? You have your eyes on the wrong King Saul. As long as you look at your victimizer, you will blame him and him alone for your present hell. But be careful, for God has his eyes fastened sharply on another King Saul. Not the visible one standing up there throwing spears at you. No, God is looking at another King Saul, one just as bad or worse. God is looking at the King Saul in you. In me. Saul's in your bloodstream. He's in the marrow of your bones. He makes up the very flesh and muscle of your heart. He is mixed into your soul. He inhabits the nuclei of your atoms. King Saul is one with you. You are King Saul. He breathes in the lungs and beats in the breast of all of us. There's only one way to get rid of him, and he must be annihilated. You may not find this to be a compliment, but at least now you know why God has put you under someone who just might be King Saul. Listen to me, because this changes your perception of authority. David, the sheepherder, would have grown up to become King Saul II, except that God cut away the Saul inside David's heart by using the outer Saul. That operation, by the way, took years and was brutalizing experience that almost killed the patient. And what were the scalpel and tongs that God used to remove this inner Saul? It was the outer Saul. King Saul sought to, sought to destroy David, but this is where God turns everything that the enemy uses for evil to become good. But his only success was that he became the instrument of God to put the death, the Saul who roamed about in the caverns of David's own soul. David was virtually destroyed in the process, but this had to be otherwise the Saul in him would have survived. David accepted this fate. He embraced the circumstances. He lifted no hand nor offered resistance, nor did he grandstand his piety, piety. Silently, privately, he bore the crucible of humiliation. And because of this, he was deeply wounded. His whole inner being was mutilated. His personality was altered. When the gore was over, David was barely recognizable. But you know what he became? A man after God's own heart. There's a Saul in everybody. And you know what's interesting? The reason why you're able to recognize Saul Spears is because you have the potential to throw the same ones. They're there. The capacity is there. And so many times we want to resist, we want to fight, we want to speak ill about, we want to uh, take people down, whether we're climbing the, the ladder in business or whatever. It doesn't matter. What you have to understand is that you cannot control how people treat you, but you can open up your life to say, God, do surgery on the soul in me, the soul in me, so that I do not become exactly like that. 
And he uses these people. He uses the people that you put out a prayer request because they're annoying and agitating you and causing you pain. But do you want, I, want to, I want, to, want you to understand something. That the difference between you and the other person is this. Is that if you God, give God your baggage, you don't have to throw the same spears that are being thrown at you. And you know what will allow you to have compassion in those moments for the souls in your life? Is that there is something broken on the inside of them that has yet to be healed by Jesus that causes them to throw spears at you. Trust me, it is more of a them problem than it is a your problem. There's something broken. And just like the song sang, they've got pieces that are scattered, but they have not been mended to become whole. They're broken. And they're hurting. And there's something inside of them that is damaged. You know what you are? You might just be a mirror that reminds them of someone that threw spears at them, and you haven't even done anything. You just remind them of somebody. So many people aspire to be like King David. Everyone wants to be known as a person after God's own heart, but listen to me, nobody wants to have to deal with the King Saul. Right. <laughs> so many of us are like, I'm a David. I just know it. I, I'm, I'm David, I know it. You don't have to tell me. Okay, well, how do you deal with Saul then? Because David never becomes David unless he's got a Saul in his life. Everybody wants to be David without Saul. That will never happen. What you and I have to really realize is that God uses the king Saul in our lives to mold us into David's. See, there's a Saul in us that God is most concerned about, and it is often the Sauls we deal with in this life that God uses to deal with the Saul within us. But you do not become a man or woman after God's own heart unless you deal with the Saul inside of you. And in the prayer room this morning, in 1 Samuel chapter 10, as I mentioned earlier, it said that Saul was hiding among the baggage. And this was the word. Saul's heart had things he needed to be delivered from. It was personal baggage. Saul didn't show the people his real self, that weak, flawed, insecure, low self-esteem. And by the way, here's the, the irony, and this is where pride needs to die inside of us, because the more you try to hide your insecurity, the more it gets manifested. <laughs> Be real. Be transparent and honest about what's going on in your life. Saul tried to hide it all. But when it came to time to be moved into a new position, Saul still had the baggage and so felt comfortable hiding out in it. And it was this baggage that was create, created the personality that Saul's are known for. People are here today with baggage from their past childhood hurts, school bullies. We know the phrase, hurt people, hurt people. And if they hold on to it, and try to hide behind it, they will stay Saul. The way that you trans transfer is by taking that baggage and putting it before Jesus and saying, I'm broken, I need to be made whole. Because let me tell you something about Saul's. They never want to end that way. They always start out with the best of intentions, 
with wanting to go the right direction, wanting to make the right decisions, but it is subtle thing after subtle thing that they get to a point where it's like, I guess this is my destiny. No, it's not. You don't have to live the rest of your life uh, broken emotionally and mentally and spiritually by the damage, the baggage that you have in your life. You can turn it around, but that requires turning to Jesus and giving, you, giving him your stuff. Will you stand with me today? His grace is so amazing. That's why his grace is, that's why his grace has a sweet sound. The song said, amazing grace, how sweet the sound, to save a wretch like me. That lyric is coming from someone that recognizes the baggage in their life and says, you saved me from So I want to pray over you this morning because I know that Saul is inescapable. And I know that it's hard to acknowledge the baggage in your life. But don't hide behind it because those who hide behind it become just like Saul. Victims in time become victimizers. So I want you to close your eyes this morning. And I want you to picture in your mind, what's the baggage? What's the broken thing inside of you that causes you to throw spears? That causes you to hurt people? That causes you to lash out? When people challenge you, that causes you to get aggressive and feel like you have to fight? What is that thing? And when you see it, I want you to open your hands. I want you to say, Jesus, here it is. I don't, I don't want, I don't want to carry this baggage. Because if I hold on to this, mm, thank you, Lord. Your baggage becomes the reason why you feel like you can throw a spear. I have been hurt and I am not going to get hurt again and you become violent, and become known as the person that people run from and are avoid, avoid because you're hurt and you refuse to be hurt again. So God, you see the baggage. <laughs> but just like Genesis, you're calling out saying, Adam, where are you? You're not running from our baggage. We're hiding behind it, but God, you're pursuing us because your grace is so good. So Lord, I pray today that as we surrender our baggage before you, you would begin to perform surgery in our hearts to mend what is broken. The thing inside of us that is resentful, the thing inside of us that is bitter, the thing inside of us that is harboring unforgiveness, that jades how we treat people and how we see people and causes us not to be vulnerable but be guarded and defensive.
God, we give you our baggage today. We cast these burdens and cares on you, God, because you care for us. We ask you to heal our hearts. God, I pray that through the surgery process, we would become men and women after your own heart, God. We would truly become like David's and lay ourselves out on the surgery table and say, God, do what's necessary that we would not stay Saul or ever become Saul. That we would not throw spears. And God, I pray from this day, from this day forward, in the days and weeks to come, I pray that when Saul wants to rise up inside of us, that your Holy Spirit would remind us and say, nope. I speak to every person in the room that thinks they're Saul, and I'm saying that's not who you are. You're David, but you're damaged. And God wants to bring healing. So heal the Saul tendency inside of us that we could become like David again. It's in your name that we pray. Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much for listening to this week's message. We hope you were challenged, encouraged, and inspired as you listened to this teaching from God's Word. For more messages or information about our church, please go to www.redeemers.life.